TFS episode number 157. This is Greg Duncan. This is Josh Garfrick. And this is Paul Hacker. Gentlemen! How's it going, Greg? Good. How are you guys doing? Well. Doing well. We're dodging the snowstorm that the downstate's getting at this time, so. So I was bummed I missed you guys at the summit. Yeah, we were bummed too. Yeah, we were looking for you. Yeah, but Paul and I, you were talking uh, pre-show that I, I guess it was a, the summit could be summarized as a Petri dish. It was a Petri dish. Um, yeah, I, I came back and was ill. My teammates came back and they were ill. And uh, most people I talked to that went were ill. So when they returned. So uh, unless Josh is maybe the only one that survived. No, I definitely, I felt like uh, medium, medium well garbage while I was there. And I had felt like hot garbage before I came. And after I got home, I was kind of gross for a couple of days too. But yeah, no. So it's your yeah, fault. Probably. So it's your fault. Okay. Okay. No, I am no, your fine. outbreak monkey. Yes, that's true. <laughs> what were your impressions? I know we can't share it because the whole conference, the whole summit, all the content was NDA. But um, what was your feeling and your impressions after you've been able to gel on it for a little while? I'll let Josh answer that since I didn't go as an MVP this year. So I'll let him talk about it from the MVP point of view. I mean, it was definitely interesting. There were a lot of um, a lot of good sessions that were going on. I bounced between kind of the native AOM sessions and some of the Azure sessions as well. I had a couple of vested interests and in things that we're, we're trying to implement here. Um, definitely some, some interesting news based on uh, the first link that, that you're going to cover, Greg, uh, from Brian and everything like that. So... I mean, that was, that definitely was interesting, but, um, the, the, one of the most interesting things to me, I think, was the fact that there were people who, I think there were like two or three people that actually had their status revoked because they violated NDA. And that shock, that was really shocking to me because yeah. it's something that, yeah. you know, I've always taken very seriously. And it just kind of struck me as, is it? Were those ALM MVP mm-hmm. or just because I, I got that email too? Uh, no, they were MVPs, mm-hmm. but not um, on the Visual okay. Studio Technology stack. Good. Yeah. Because I know our team is really has it has that uh, reputation of being really good yeah. with NDA yeah. content. So yeah. So I'm trying to catch up on all the videos, and again, we can't show the content, but I, I, um, I guess we could summarize it is that the only constant in the coming year or so will be change. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah that that's a great observation. Yes. So everybody's on VSTS or thinking about VSTS. The team, they take these three-week sprints seriously, and they are continuously pushing it forward. So we're going to give you some links, uh, and we're going to talk about them in the show where you can see the timelines and see where some of these things are coming up. So if you want to see something what's coming, get an idea of the feel for the changes that are heading your way, we'll have the links in the show notes for you for those. Uh, first of all, some of the changes we're talking about – I don't know how many times we've uh, quoted uh, Mr. Brian Harry on the show, mm-hmm. but it's been a bunch. And he did a, a – actually, it was, I don't know, kind of sad in a way. But, um, you know, his post title is All Things Good. And uh, Mr. Harry is taking a break. He's going to take a year off. He's going to leave the VSTS stuff aside. He's going to work on his farm go home and do family stuff. And, you know, after, what is it, uh, 23 years at Microsoft. Yeah, that's, that's it's amazing, man. He, uh, he was 15 years with the VSTS or TFS or whatever. 15 years <laughs> VSO. VSO and, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was in that space for 15 years, which is it's fantastic. It's nice to see that um, he's stepping down at a time where everything's still kind of got momentum, where the next person mm-hmm. can kind of pick up where he left off, hopefully, although their styles are completely different on um, the person that's taking over. So it'll be interesting. What was the feel on in the room? Because I saw he did that in the kick the kickoff meeting, and he made that announcement to, to well, everybody. Well, I think it was, was kind of what you would expect. Uh, people were sad to see him go, obviously, but very excited for him. At the same time, you know, knowing that he's at a good place, he's done so much for us as as a team, um, as and as MVPs, and giving us the type of content we get at the summit. Uh, and trusting us, you know, we're losing that where you have to now build up that reputation and that, uh, that, uh, need for, for information to, to trust factor again with the new individual. So, uh, but other than that, yeah, they were very excited for him. I mean, he got a standing ovation. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. Matt Freeman. Yeah. And he's, uh, Nat Freeman, Friedman is taking on the leadership role. Uh, and he's coming from like Xamarin and Startup fame. Yeah, he, he started That's, Xamarin, I think. I think he was president of Xamarin. How is... I believe that was his role at one point. And people were people were excited at the summit about that? Well, they don't. most people don't they? know him. I know him because <laughs> when I hired on at Microsoft, I reported up the chain right. to uh, to Nat. So my manager reports to Nat. So I, I already knew who he was and some of his styles. Um, but most of the folks in the room didn't really know who he was or if they knew him, they didn't understand how he worked. Yeah. And I, I would imagine you could put just about, about anybody up there and you have the same type mm-hmm. of reaction from that group. Um, just because it's somebody new, right? It, it's somebody you have to get used to. So, right. Right. Yeah. It struck, it was interesting when I heard that. Cause like, you know, uh, like you're saying, like most people, I didn't know, I don't know who he is. If, if it had been, you know, Buck Hodges who was promoted or something like that, it's like, Oh, okay. He's been in this space for forever, but Nat, but in thinking about it though, it's that nice new fresh look at VSTS. And I'm not saying anything bad about Brian, but you know, uh, you know, maybe it's good exactly. to have, it's always exactly. good to you kind know, of have a fresh it's, view. It, it's a perfect time. Right? For him to roll out and somebody new to roll in, like you said, and just put a different set of eyes on it. And hopefully the vision will stay, you know, the long-term vision will be someone similar. But you're right. Having a different set of eyes is really beneficial at times. So what other things are going on, Josh? Speaking of Brian Harry, there, we've got a couple of things in the feed from, from Brian. Uh, the first one is a post around security updates for TFS, specifically around cross-site scripting texts that were reported. Um, improperly encoded API, a service endpoint editing experience, which exposed a previously configured password, and a, a regex DOS vulnerability. So those are all shored up for uh, 2015 update 4.1, uh, 2017 update 0.1 and 3.1. So those are out there. And if you follow the link from the show notes, you'll be able to get all of the goodies to install those should you need them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they did a 2015 update. Yeah, I would have expected 2018, 2017, but not necessarily 15. Right. Speaking of 2018. Cool. Paul. Yeah. So, um, well, 2018, as most people know, is has dropped and uh, <laughs> uh, dot one has come down now. So 2018, TFS 2018.1. 
uh, has come, but uh, don't don't get too excited about all the new bells and whistles coming out with this release because uh, it's mostly bug fixes. And while there are some very carefully selected features that will get pushed out, uh, the major releases this year for feature sets are going to be your, uh, I believe it's May and December or something like that, or May and November. It's going to be twice a year. And I think it's like six months apart from each other. Um, I believe that's what it said. The show notes are, we'll have the link to that blog post and, uh, we'll explain it in detail. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to see them, you know, just kicking away every three weeks. Yeah. I'm, we're in our final stages of our VSTS high fidelity migration. We're going to do one more dry run Friday and then we're planning at that second week in April to do the oh, production VSTS awesome. migration. I'm really looking forward to that. Cool. Yeah. How, how have your conversion runs been going? Uh, uh, pretty smooth. We actually had, I talked, I think I talked about last show with Anthony is that we had a, a really scary part. Um, you know, you take the collection offline, you do the backup, you do all that good kind of stuff. And then at the point where, um, and Oscar, my partner in crime have to invoke Oscar, uh, we were, tr- he was trying to remount the collections back on our TFS, our on-prem TFS server, and it wasn't doing anything. It was basically appeared to be stalled and like we had done it on our first dry run. It had been, I don't know, a few, you know, 10, 20 minutes or so, you have two hours into it. He's starting to panic and he's emailing me and I'm starting to panic. We're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. We you know we have to get this on-prem thing going because we're not going to go live with the dry run. And eventually it aired out and it got back and we found what the issue was. And then he was able to remount it and everything was fine. But yeah, that, that was a, a hairy. Friday night wondering, oh my God, what are we going to do? I was already drafting the email to the ALM champs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and what it looked like, what happened is, okay. is I had, we don't use the reports, the SSRS reports. And so I turned it off. I didn't uninstall it. I just stopped it because it was chewing mm-hmm. up memory. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop this. Well, I'm looking at the error logs. What happened is, is all our projects were set up to do the reports, but the service was offline. And looking at the logs, you could see there was an error here. Can't connect to, you know, report endpoint. Can't connect to report endpoint. Can't con- so what I think it was doing, it was trying to connect to them and retrying and finally time out and then do the next, jump to the next one. Try to connect to it, time out, jump to the next one, next, you know, so, uh, it, it was, so lesson learned is that, yeah, I'm going to have the report server on this Friday when we do our dry run. Okay. That's good to know. That's great. Yeah. One of the other things I have a question about in terms of migrations, and I hear a lot from customers, and I know a lot of customers do this, is modify the process template. So have you guys done a lot of modifications, no. and how did that migrate over? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're, that's where actually we're lucky, I guess, in that um, we're not using work items. Uh, we're using our work item management is all done in version one right now. Oh. Uh, so that made it really easy. All we're doing is build, you know, a code and build stuff. And, and that all went over great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only issue we ran into is, uh, you know, the like the endpoints for our, our sonar cube, which is still on-prem. You know, so, so that had to get tweaked a little bit. Uh, but that was like it. And I still think it's magical. I cannot believe how easy it is to update our end-users uh, you know, their Visual Studio instances and that stuff. Uh, you know, literally you, you connect to the new system and all the mappings are there and everything. It just works. How big was your database? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that, that was, it's not that big. Uh, we, we've only got 
12 projects and only like three of those are really active. I see. They're a number of years old, but yeah, it wasn't that big. I see. Okay. In comparison. But all the builds were there. All the releases were there. Awesome. It's just like, oh. That's oh, sorry. Totally sidetracked. So uh, uh, where were we? Yeah. We're talking I mean, about the VSTS. I think it was Josh's story, right? No, we were talking about the uh, 2018 up. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Maybe it was Josh's story. Exactly. It's yeah. mine now. It is now. So speaking of VSTS <laughs> and all the, the magical, fantastical things that it does, um, March 5th, Brian posted a VSTS update pointing over to the release notes for uh, Sprint 131. And... As usual, there's a bunch of really awesome stuff in here. Some of the highlights, though, uh, there's new work items hub. So it gives you a different type of view for how your, your work items are displayed to you. There's VM support for Azure DevOps projects now, which before it was it was uh, pass components. So, so now you have the option to extend that to your VMs as well, which is nice. There's some interesting, uh, some interesting things in here as well, like case enforcement. You can enforce... Uh, case-sensitive or case-insensitive on uh, Git repositories now, which may or may not be of use, but I think it's interesting. And probably one of the other things that is that is you know interesting to me, I don't know how interesting it'll be to other people, but uh, deployment badges. So instead of having uh, you know a, a myriad of, of widgets showing different uh, environments and different deployment steps and stuff like that, you can create one simple markdown widget with the deployment badges for your environments and boom, you have an instant dashboard that shows you exactly what's going on in your pipeline. That's awesome. Yeah, and they're going to be uh, dropping uh, every so often, you know, obviously. Uh, but one of the things that Brian has pushed out, or not Brian, but Alex Nichols. Alex Nichols has pushed out the roadmap update for 2018 Q1 and Q2. And you'll find out uh, more information about dates and what's going to drop in the future. Uh, one of the great things that I see coming down the pipe is, and I was reading about it, is YAML for the release. So if you're familiar with YAML files, you know that you can have your build as code, you know? So now you're going to be able to do your releases that code as code also uh, when that feature comes out. So it's going to be pretty nice. In fact, I was talking to a customer just yesterday asking me how they go about doing their releases as code. And so that's going to be neat to have that. I literally cannot wait for that. I'm I was excited when it came out for build, and I'm even more excited that it's coming for release. I'm bouncing in my chair right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, this is totally going off the rails here, but mm -hmm. um, I, you mentioned going to Azure sessions and yes. stuff. And I know you guys are, are heavy into Azure, right? Or getting heavy into Azure? Definitely. What kind of... What kind of DevOps stuff? Here's the scenario why I'm asking, being totally mm -hmm. selfish, is um, my company, we're going, we're moving slowly into Azure. We're our first at, uh, Cosmos DB and Azure function related project is uh, mm -hmm. happening now. And uh, I'm not seeing a lot of good DevOps, CI, CD, release management stuff for either one of those. What kind of DevOps stuff are you doing with Azure? So a lot of it, Believe it or not, for for the project that that I'm working on is is very much lift and shift. So we're we're still using a lot of the same types of conventions that, that we would be using on prem for for our pipelines and for making sure that we've got DSC set up appropriately for the different server types and you know corporate compliance and all that good stuff. Um, I don't really have a good official way of at least I haven't seen one yet around. Like DevOps for Cosmos DB or any of that stuff. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, you can do, there's tons of different things you can do, but um, I don't know that I would go on record as saying one is better than the other because, well, that's, that's how wars on the internet start. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not willing to die on that hill. So, you know, and part of it might be my old guy. Uh, mindset because you know with uh, cosmos db it's the old document db it's a uh, uh, a globally available uh, highly partitioned highly performant based database but you can also have server-side programming like start procedures user-defined functions and triggers and stuff mm -hmm. and those are written in javascript yes and i want those artifacts under version control and i want to be able to make updates to them and push them out well i'm talking with the cosmos db team and about my questions about these devopsy stuff and and he's pushing back and saying well why don't you just do it during app initialization you know you can have it right there and have it the app itself can build it and put these functions in their appropriate collections and, you know and so part of it may be just i'm thinking about it wrong you know i've been mm -hmm. with sql server for so long that maybe I need to, you know, no SQL my brain and just think about it differently. Yeah, I would. I'm. I'm not going to lie. I would be in your camp as well, <laughs> because that's that's where the majority of my experience is too. You know, to me, a, a stored procedure or UDF is something that if you do modify it, you're going to have some sort of version control, change control around that, um, and you're gonna you're gonna want to deploy that as a part of you know your your overall deployment. Um, it's almost like you would need uh, ready roll or something like that, but only for JavaScript, which seems a little weird, right? Um, but but I kind of feel like that that would be the missing link if, if you're looking for something that would encapsulate those types of changes just to a specific like NoSQL database or something like that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. Uh, there's I did end up finding once I contacted the ALM champs and you guys replied back. Um, they gave me the right things to search for. And I found two different PowerShell options. Uh, and they're like almost exactly what I need. But, you know, it's, I, yeah, I just have to make sure that I'm not caught in my own groove. <laughs> Is that the show title? Yeah. Caught in my own groove. It's a fine line you're walking there, Mr. Mr. Duncan. All right. So, um, <laughs> so we were talking about Git and I know you're kind of a Mac guy, Josh. Indeed. What I am not, though, is an expert on, on Git virtual file system. However, Saeed Nurashelli has an article posted out here on the recent update to GVFS for Mac. Now, there is a lot of, uh, there's a decent amount of technical information in here about how that's implemented and, and all that good stuff. Um, I'm not going to go into that because I will likely say something that's wrong. So I'm just going to go ahead and avoid that. However, the TLDR is the Windows drivers that, that allow for GVFS to be effective, uh, there's no construct for that in Mac OS. So they had to kind of go back to the drawing board and come up with a, a, a newer set of, of file system drivers that would allow for uh, GVFS to be implemented on, on Mac OS. I know it's kind of hard for you to believe that the drivers that were on Windows might not work the same on Mac OS, but you know, here we are, 2018, so. <laughs> And again, links in the show notes if you want some of the down and dirty details on this stuff. Uh, but they've uh, they've got things flying, so it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. It is prototypey, so it's not it's not you know ready for general consumption yet, as far as I can tell. But um, 
it's, they're definitely pushing forward with it, which is pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so uh, GVF, GVFS, uh, Java Virtual File System, came from Microsoft to solve a problem specific to, or not specific to, but definitely related to how Microsoft was using Git. And Paul, you have a couple stories about how Microsoft is using Git and some of the challenges that yeah, they face. Yeah, so one of the things, um, well, first off, the story behind the Microsoft migration from a two-year waterfallish type development process into a more agile every three week DevOps build release type process is an amazing story. And there's a lot of different blog posts out there and videos on how they do that, how they got from where they were to where they are. Um, but Git happened to be one of the things that they brought to their knees. Git could not handle uh, the number of files that were sh- the sheer number of files in the Windows team. Um, so basically, they had to work with uh, the folks over there to kind of rewrite some things. Obviously, Git uh, virtual file system is one of the things that came out of that. But they had to rewrite some things to allow for Windows to be able to move their code over into a Git repository. So uh, there's a there was a few different trials and tribulations that were going on. You know, I mean, not only did they, um, you know, rework how they're working with Git, uh, but uh, the other nice thing is, they do pull requests. So every check-in is a pull, re- there's a pull request. So they're taking advantage of a lot of the things that Git offers that we're actually asking our customers to do. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> Some of the numbers. I think we, we covered a story like our, again, Brian, I think might have mentioned this story, but some of the numbers That's are wrong. just crazy. A 270 gig source for Windows in a, just a massive mono repo. Yeah. You're talking, uh, millions and millions of lines of code and uh number of files it's it's just ridiculous off the charts you know we don't i don't think there's another company out there that has that much i think in fact microsoft is the biggest git repository in the world as far as i know cool cool um and there was another story right there is there's a story about how microsoft does devops as well as one around accelerating the engineering group behind windows so martin woodward put out an excellent article on the engineering group uh and how they accelerated that move uh they're also on the microsoft devops story uh aaron bjork who is the uh works for the uh team services team or team uh, vsts team uh more on the agile and project management space but he's kind of moving around uh, actually talks about, you know, the story of Microsoft moving into a more DevOps type role, uh, which is really, like I said, really interesting content. Um, I tell the story to most customers I see today and I'm always learning something new about it. And customers are just kind of blown away because they're facing a lot of the same issues that Microsoft faced, a lot, especially a lot of these large organizations. And so we're able to help them achieve their, their journey. Uh, better, you know, get on the road to that journey uh, because of the fact that we have some answers to some of those really big questions about how, you know, we're struggling. How do we get past this? Yeah, that's a great article. Even the before and after. Mm-hmm. There's a bitmap there of the before and after, you know, before the 100 page spec documents and after uh, specs are in PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah. One of the things they also did was they uh, rewrote all their tests. 60,000 unit tests were rewritten. Wow. Um, and so what they did was, and it's funny because every time they build, um, they run their unit tests, okay, or their their pull requests, I should say, they run unit tests, and um, and obviously an automated build there. Um, but yeah, they um actually 
moved over into the new ones. Instead of trashing all the older unit tests, they gradually just added more new ones and removed older ones. Um, as time went on, everything is redone now um, for the unit test framework. So yeah, hmm. it's pretty cool. So Josh, what else is uh, happening in VSTS? Shouldn't you say what is brewing? <laughs> Our good friend, Buck Hodges, Director of Engineering for VS Team Services. So he's got what's brewing in, in VSTS March 2018 digest. Some of the stuff that, that we touched on uh, in the, the March 5th release from, from Brian is covered here as well, but there are a couple of things that are not. One of them is the overview of the internal VSTS account that's being showcased by Scott Guthrie during the Azure Redshirt Dev Tour. So he's actually going out there and showing folks you know, what the MSNG account looks like and, and what the VSDS team uses, which is VSTS, um, <laughs> to, to manage VSDS. And a lot of, a lot of interesting insights there. Um, huge process for, for not only collecting telemetry, but also for providing uh, root cause analysis reports and, and really driving towards quality and, and process improvement in every facet. So it's really interesting stuff. It talks about the roadmap update, talks about being able to generate YAML templates from existing build definitions. So you may have seen this out there in the wild already, but anytime you go into a build definition, you can click on individual tasks and a little link will show up in the, I believe it's top right corner that says view YAML. And that'll pop into a, a new modal and, and give you the actual YAML configuration that would be the equivalent of the task or the phase or the entire definition that you're looking at. So you can extract that, which is nice. There's some enhancements to multi-phase builds. Uh, you can run UI tests and install software on the hosted VS 2017 agents now. That's that's a change. Identifying flaky tests. I hate it when my tests are flaky. <laughs> you know, it, Biscuits are supposed to be flaky, not our right. tests. I mean, you, you have your cornflakes, you have your frosted flakes. I don't I don't want my test flakes. It's just not something I want. <laughs> and... I think one of the one of the undersold one is the VSTS as a symbol server. I was just about to mention that. Thank you. That is actually something that is not as widely published. I won't say it's not widely publicized, but it's perhaps um, an unsung hero of of the VSTS platform. But it's definitely something that comes in very very handy. You can also get you like your get blame. You like to blame people for things. Yeah. Well, now you get full history. You can go in there and, and actually pull all kinds of good stuff from there, which is which is nice if that's your thing. If you like blaming people, you know, making questionable life decisions, you know, it, it, it all happens in such a blur. Uh, lots of other stuff too. I'll, I'll uh, let folks kind of review that at their leisure and the link will be in the show notes for what's brewing in VSTS. Now, so I got a story um, or a post from Muhammad Rodwin on real world stories of migrating Team Foundation Server to Visual Studio Team Services. Funny that I would pick that story as one that I want to highlight. Uh, but he's got a great 36-page PDF that you can download that goes through his experiences of going from a 2015... Uh, no, it was 2017. But there was a number of challenges that, that that he faced. And what's more important, though, is he talks about three different approaches of doing it. And that's what I thought was really kind of cool. He talks about not only the high fidelity, but using the sync migrator as well as the old TFS integration platform tool and, you know, how to set those up and how to even use them. So, you know, so if the high fidelity doesn't work for you, th these other ones are. And he, again, he's using real world examples on how he did that. So, and we'll have the link in the show notes for uh, this post. And I have to 
tell him thanks again for posting this stuff. I, I loved his posts. So, and speaking of Azure, speaking of uh, CICD and all these other good things, Michael Crump has a post that you're going to highlight, Paul. Yeah, so uh, it's called the Azure Tips and Tricks Part 101, Day 1. It's the end-to-end scenario with Azure App Service, API apps, SQL, VSTS, and CICD. Um, rather long title for a blog post, but um, <laughs> we're going to have it in the show notes. And what he's doing is basically breaking down the steps you're going to take if you want to deploy your app service or your APIs or SQL Server or to to uh, to Azure using VSTS and the release build and release mechanisms built into VSTS. It's it's a pretty decent post. I I it's got I think it's actually broke down into into sub posts too. So each yep. each step is its own post also. So you can go through and get more information. But this is kind of like the overall umbrella post. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great story. Um, it's gonna help folks that are struggling maybe to get there or don't have an understanding of how to do it. Um, to, to a system and getting it done. Yeah, I'm st- sitting here raising my hand. I want him to hurry up on day seven, the VSTS continued deployment. <laughs> Maybe he'll answer the questions that I was uh, bugging you on, Josh. What was his day seven? I'm sorry. Uh, the VSTS continuous deployment post. Oh. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Michael, hurry up and, and, and write that. <laughs> I'm sure he will. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he will. So speaking of continuous deployment and building and releasing, uh, there's also the Sonar Cube tasks. I don't know if folks out there are familiar with Sonar Cube, but it's a way in which we do uh, analysis of our source code. Uh, so Sonar Cube is works very well with VSTS. So if you have a Sonar Cube account, uh, you can go ahead and I've set this up for customers already, uh, for a few of them actually, and it works really well and allows you to push that data back into Sonar Cube uh, for analysis data. Uh, it's got a nice little dashboard set up there and, uh, and everything. So if you're interested in using Sonar Cube, it integrates very well with VSTS as well as Sonar Cloud. You can, there's another post out there on Sonar Cloud and how you can, uh, analyze your open source projects. So not just your .NET and types like that, but your actual open source stuff that you're doing. Um, private stuff is also there. So. Yeah. So Sonar Cube is for like the on-prem install, right? And the Sonar Cloud is for pure play cloud? Correct. Correct. Sonar Cube, well, Sonar Cube can also, the Sonar Cube plugin can also work with the web. Okay. So it doesn't have to be an on install of Sonar Cube, I don't believe, in your organization. Um, but I have to double check on that one. It, it might be. But um, I, I know that when I was setting it up, um, we were setting it up with uh, on-prem type setups because most of the customers I work with uh, are using some sort of either Azure in their data, you know, Azure in their environment or uh, doing it right on their, their hardware that they already have. So, you know, if I had only read Mikkel's post here, he talks <laughs> talks about that very same thing. It's like, um, yeah, the Sonar Cube infrastructure requires servers and resources, but he pr- links to articles on how you can set up Sonar Cube with ARM template and also how to easily deploy Sonar Cube server in Azure. So you can have a Sonar Cube in the cloud using um, Azure and VMs and ARM templates. That makes sense. It, that, that's great. Yeah, that's one of the ways I did it. I actually have a Sonar Cube template that I was using um, for setting up an environment and uh you, you know, that, that's great. That's, I, I love the ARM templates. So I came across this post and I didn't think I was going to use it. 
Um, again, from um, I, I didn't re- actually realize I cherry picked his post for me again. But again, uh, Muhammad Robin did a great post on one of those simple things. I, like I said, I didn't think I'd ever use this. And then the next day, I absolutely needed to use this. Um, VSTS build variables and echo. If you've ever had a scenario where you're kind of wondering what the actual build variable is going to be, he shows you very simply how you can set up a task and just use the old, you know, age old echo DOS or DOS. Yeah. Uh, command to echo that variable and it will spit it out right into your build results. And, um, cause I had a question on variables and which was the order of precedence for them. Do, uh, let's say you have a, a release variable. Okay. At the release definition level. And then you have that same named variable in the environment for one environment and then nothing for the other environment. And I did not know which variable, the release scope or the environment scope would win. I assumed the environment variable would, but I couldn't find anything easily. I, you know, I tried to, I binged it with Google and, uh, couldn't find anything. Well, using this post, I was able to truly verify that um, the release one will be used, but it can be overridden by the environment variable. So, and I was able to prove it and record it and do it right this using um, Muhammad's post. So that was a great find. <sighs> so I think our last story, Paul, I think you've got the last story. Yeah, last feedback. Um, well, everybody, when everybody thinks of feedback, they, it's usually a negative connotation like, oh no, what did I do wrong? Uh, and Brian talks a lot about you know, how, you know, human nature is to look at it like that. But also he talks about how to look at it when it's good feedback, when it's positive feedback and how to, how to handle that. Uh, the big thing to take away from, from this and Brian Harry has the article and we'll have the show notes. Um, but the big thing to take away is that Microsoft really appreciates feedback, but done in a respectable and honorable way. <laughs> You know, if you if you don't like the product or you got something great to say about the product, go ahead and say it, but just don't bash the product in a mean-spirited way. Otherwise, you know, what's the use of giving the feedback? Make it constructive criticism and something that's actionable. So that's one other thing about feedback. Make sure you have some actionable feedback, something the product team can take because the product team looks at this feedback. And it doesn't matter if you're in VSTS or if you're in Windows or Microsoft uh, App Store, uh, that whenever you see crash reports being sent back or any of that information, the Microsoft teams actually, you know, dive into that. They, they use that. And at some point you will see it as a work item in the system if you are, you know, available to see that. Uh, so it's um, feedback is really beneficial to the teams at Microsoft. I, I just... You know, I just like to see people do it in a constructive way. That's all. And speaking of feedback, we've got some feedback from the show. Uh, Rod, our, our uh, longtime listener, was giving us a hard time about our website, Radio TFS website, which is under active development. Uh, hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to be replacing it here one of these days, but it's somewhat dated. And I'm going to leave this up to you, the listener, to find two things on the website. That one that is blatantly wrong and kind of bad, not bad, but just kind of funny fad. And, and the other one that is just so out of date, it, it's kind of hilarious. And Rod, you know, he and I were emailing this weekend about that one. And it, I'll give a hint. Um, he listens, still listens to Radio TFS on his Zoom. 
So, you know, that could be related to one of those uh, Easter eggs, I'm going to call them. Um, but thank you, Rod, for your feedback there. Uh, Greg Pakes, I haven't replied to you on email, Greg. It's in my queue. Believe me, I've got it. Uh, but hey, the Greg's here. We have to stick together. And uh, Greg starts off with, again, good constructive feedback. He's giving us a, hey, I love the show. He's been listening to it since episode one. Uh, Greg, thank you for listening. But he was having some concerns about our recent past shows with the guests that we were going more into them than TFS or VSTS, doing more people shows versus technology shows. And, and he's not criticizing. He says it very clearly. He's not criticizing. He's just providing feedback. And that is perfect feedback. And I really appreciate that, Greg. And, and we'll take a look at it. Now, whether we agree or not, you know, we can agree to disagree. Cause I really want to learn about the people and what makes them tick. But also you, the listeners, you know, the show's for you. It's not for me. It's for you. So you're a bit, you know, it's a trade off. I want you to get to know them, but I also want you to get up to date and all the stuff that's happening in TFS and, and VSTS. So we'll, we'll balance that a little bit. And, and uh, finally, uh, today, uh, Mr. Beckett, I think it's Tom emailed us and said, uh, yeah, our podcast isn't on Spotify. And the best thing that he did is he gave us a link in the email. Hey, here's the link on how to get it into Spotify. That's awesome. The perfect, yeah, it's like a totally actionable thing. So right before the show, I'm out filling out that form. So Tom, we'll try to get this on Spotify sooner than later. Uh, lastly, Donnie, John, boy, uh, Darwin, I, I Got your stickers. I will hopefully be getting them out to you. If anybody else, if you guys want Radio TFS or DevOps stickers, drop us a line, Radio TFS at Outlook.com. We're on Twitter at T at Radio TFS. We're on Facebook, Radio TFS. Do send us a voicemail. Voicemail. You know, though that that phone thing on that, that phone when you actually talk to a human through that handheld device. Uh, the number is 1-425-233-8379. Safe for work. We'll play it on the air somehow. I'm not sure how we'll do it with Zencaster here, but we'll figure out a way. I might even have to edit it and, and, and splice it in. We'll see. And maybe, see, that way you guys can get me. You can make me do some editing work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul and Josh, uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Sure. Thanks for having us. Um, hey, before we, before we, uh, go our separate ways, I wanted to say real quick, I'm going to be at, the Philly.net co-camp this weekend uh, on Saturday presenting, and I will have Radio TFS and DevOps stickers as well. So if anyone is in the neighborhood attending, um, I don't have a lot, but I have a few. So uh, hit me on the Twitters and, and let me know. I'll be happy to to make a personal delivery for you. So Well, hey, good luck with that, Josh. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, because you, you're not a very uh, active speaker, are you, or, or are you? No, no, not, not, not even close. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, congratulations on getting selected, obviously. And, Thank you. and I'm sure you'll tear it up. Yeah. What are you, what are you speaking Fault? on? Did you say Yeah, this? I can tell you. So it's the presentation is called Fault Driven Development, and um, it has nothing to do with Git blame. It's, it's more along <laughs> the lines of, of switching your headspace up to, to look at problems uh, through a different lens when you're dealing with cloud first and cloud native applications. Coming from you know the background that I've come from, and a lot of us have probably come from, you know, your your desktop or web distributed applications, and you know you have a certain amount of 
of things that you you look for when you're developing those applications. And some of those paradigms are different when you get to the cloud. So I'm looking at how to be proactive and reactive with respect to faults, errors, and things like that, and, and how to best handle those gracefully so the, the user experience is, is not impacted. So Nice. Nice. Do you have a website for that event? I do. The URL for I, I will make sure that I forward it over to you so we can put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Nice. All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Radio TFS.